This video is part of an audiobook series featuring Principles, Life and Work, written by Ray Dalio in 2017. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or check out my website for downloads. Chapter 12. Diagnose Problems to Get at Their Root Causes When you encounter problems, your objective is to specifically identify the root causes of those problems the specific people or designs that caused them, and to see if these people or designs have a pattern of causing problems. What are the most common reasons for failing to diagnose well? The most common mistake I see people making is dealing with their problems as one-offs rather than using them to diagnose how their machine is working so that they can improve the system as a whole. They move on to fix problems without getting at their root causes, which is a recipe for, for continued failure. A thorough and accurate diagnosis, while more time-consuming, will pay huge dividends in the future. The second most common mistake people make is to depersonalize the diagnosis, not connecting problems to the people who failed and not examining what it is about them that caused the failure will not lead to improvement of the individuals or the machines. The third biggest reason for failure is to not connect what one is learning in one diagnosis to what was learned in prior diagnoses. It is important to determine whether the root cause of a particular problem, like Harry was useless, is part of a larger problem, like Harry is often careless, or not, or if they're not part of a pattern, like it's unlike Harry to be careless. In the case of our client service analytics team, I knew that unless we got to the root cause of the problems, standards would continue to decline. Bridgewater's other leaders agreed, so I led a series of diagnostic sessions with the team, getting everyone at every level into the room to probe and find things out of what had gone wrong. I started with my mental map of how things should have gone based on the, on the machine I'd built and asked the new managers to describe what had actually happened. Bad outcomes don't just happen. They occur because specific people make or fail to make specific decisions. A good diagnosis always gets to the level of de determining what it is about those people that led to the bad outcomes. This can be uncomfortable, but if someone isn't suited for the job, they need to be moved out of it so that the same mistakes won't keep occurring. Of course, nobody is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. So it is important to look at the people's track record and their specific strengths and weaknesses in doing a diagnosis. Coming out of these sessions, a few things were clear. Several of the new line managers who the top managers had brought in to run client service analytics didn't have the right skills, synthesis abilities, or levels of caring to oversee the quality control process. And the top managers were far too distant from the area and not probing adequately to make sure that everything was going well. This was the what is, the reality we faced that produced our problems. It wasn't a pretty picture, but it was exactly what we needed to know in order to move to the next step of designing the changes we had to make. The following principles flesh out how to diagnose well, beginning with a basic overview. 12.1. To diagnose well, ask the following questions. 1. Is the outcome good or bad? 2. Who is responsible for the outcome? 3. If the outcome is bad, is the responsible party incapable or is the design bad? If you keep those big questions in mind and anchor back to them, you should do well. 
What follows is a guide for getting the answers to these big picture questions, mostly using a series of simple either or questions to help you get to the synthesis you are looking for at each step. You should think of these as the answers you need before moving to the next step, leading all the way to the final diagnosis. You can but don't need to follow these questions or this format exactly. Depending on your circumstances, you may be able to move through these questions quickly, or you may need to ask some different or more granular questions. Is the outcome good or bad? And who is responsible for the outcome? If you can't quickly get in sync that the outcome was bad and who specifically was responsible, you're probably already headed for the weeds, in other words, into a discussion of tiny, irrelevant details. If the outcome is bad, is the responsible party incapable or is the design bad? The goal is to come to this synthesis, though to get there you may need to examine how the machine worked in this instance and build the synthesis from there. How should the machine have worked? You may have a mental map of who should have done what, or you may need to fill it in using the other person's mental maps. In any case, you need to learn who was responsible for doing what and what the principles say about how things should have gone. Keep it simple. At this stage, a common pitfall is to delve into a granular examination of procedural details rather than stay at the level of the machine, the level of who was responsible for doing what. You should be able to crystallize your mental map in just a few statements, each connected to a specific person. If you are delving into details here, you are probably off track. Once you've established the mental map, the key question is, did the machine work as it should have? Yes or no? If not, what didn't go as it should have? What broke? This is called the proximate cause, and this step should be easy to get to if you laid out the mental map clearly. You can do this via yes-no questions as well, because it should just require re referring back to the key components of your mental map and pinpointing which the RP or RPs didn't do well. Say your mental map of how the machine should have worked has two steps, that Harry should either have one, done his assignment on time, or two, escalated that he couldn't do it. All you have to do is pinpoint the two steps. Did he do it on time? Yes or no. And if not, did he escalate? Yes or no. It should be this simple. But this is when the conversation often gets dragged into gobbledygook, where someone goes into a detailed explanation of what they did. Remember, it's your job to guide the conversation toward an accurate and clear synthesis. You also have to synthesize whether the problem was meaningful, that is, whether a capable person would have made the same mistake given the circumstances, or whether it's symptomatic of something worth digging into. Don't focus too much on rare events or the trivial problems. Nothing and no one is perfect. But be sure you are not overlooking a clue to a systemic machine problem. It is your job to make that determination. Why didn't things go as they should have? This is where you have synthesized the root cause in order to determine whether the responsible party is capable or not, or whether the issue is with the design. In order to anchor back to a synthesis rather than get lost in the details, you might try to tie the failure to the five-step process. Which step was not done well? Everything ultimately fits into those five steps, but you may need to get more specific. So, also... Try to crystallize the failure as a specific key attribute or set of attributes. Ask yes or no questions. Did the responsible party not manage well, not perceive problems well, or not execute well? Importantly, ask yourself this question. 
If X attribute is done well next time, will the bad outcome still occur? This is a good way of making sure you are logically connecting the outcome back to the case. Think of it this way. If your mechanic replaced that part in your car, would that fix it? If the root cause is a faulty design, don't stop there. Ask who was responsible for the faulty design and whether they are capable of designing well. Is the root cause a pattern, yes or no? Any problem can be a one-off imperfection, or it could be a symptom of a root cause that will show up repeatedly. You need to determine which it is. In other words, if Harry failed to do the assignment due to reliability, does Harry have a reliability problem in general? If so, is reliability required for the role? Is Harry's failure due to training or abilities? How should the people or machines evolve as a result? Confirm that the short-term resolution of the issue has been addressed as needed. Determine the steps to be taken for long-term solutions and who is responsible for those steps. Specifically, are there responsibilities that need to be assigned or clarified? Are there machine designs that need to be reworked? Are there people whose fit for their roles needs to be reevaluated? For example, if you've determined that, one, it's a pattern, two, the responsible party is missing an attribute that's required for the role, and three, the attribute is missing due to the reliable party's ability, not their training, then you've likely been able to determine the answer to your most important question. The person is not capable and needs to be sorted from the role. The following principles further flesh out how to diagnose well. A. Ask yourself, who should do what differently? I often hear people complaining about a particular outcome without attempting to understand the machine that caused it. In many cases, these complaints come from people who are seeing the cons of some decision but not the pros and don't know how the responsible party weighed them to come to a decision. Since all outcomes ultimately come from people and designs, asking yourself who should do what differently will point you in the direction of the kind of understanding that you need to actually change outcomes in the future versus just chirping about them. B. Identify at which step in the five-step process the failure occurred. If a person is chronically failing, it is due to a lack of training or a lack of ability. Which is it? At which of the five steps did the person failure? or fail. <laughs> different steps require different abilities, and if you can identify which abilities are lacking, you'll go a long way toward diagnosing the problem. C. Identify the principles that were violated. Identify which principles apply to the case at hand, review them, and see if they would have helped. Think for yourself which principles are best for handling similar cases. This will help solve not only this problem, but other problems like it. D. Avoid Monday morning quarterbacking. Evaluate the merits of the past decision based not on what you know now, but only on what you could have reasonably known at the time the decision was made. Every decision has pros and cons. You can't evaluate choices in retrospect without the appropriate context. Do this by asking yourself, what should a quality person have known and done in that situation? Also, have a deep understanding of the person who made the decision, how they think, the type of person they are, whether they learned from the situation, and so on. E. Don't confuse the quality of someone's circumstances with the quality of their approach to dealing with the circumstances. One can be good, and the other can be bad, and it's easy to confuse which is which. Such confusion is especially common in organizations that are doing new things and evolving fast, but haven't yet gotten the kinks out. 
I have always described Bridgewater as being terrible and terrific at the same time. For nearly 40 years, we have consistently produced extraordinary results while struggling with lots of problems. It is easy to look at messy circumstances, think things must be terrible, and get frustrated. But the real challenge is to look at the long-term successes these messy circumstances have produced and understand how essential they are to the evolutionary process of innovation. F. Identifying the fact that someone else doesn't know what to do doesn't mean that you know what to do. It's one thing to point out a problem. It's another to have an accurate diagnosis and a quality solution. As described earlier, the litmus test for a good problem solver is 1. They are able to logically describe how to handle the problem, and 2. They have successfully solved similar problems in the past. G. Remember that a root cause is not an action, but a reason. Root causes are described in adjectives, not verbs, so keep asking why to get at them. Since most things are done or not done, because someone decided to do them or not do them in a certain way, most root causes can be traced to specific people who have specific patterns of behavior. Of course, a normally reliable person can make the occasional error, and if that's the case, then it can be forgiven. But when a problem is attributable to a person, you have to ask why they made the mistake, and you have to be as accurate in diagnosing a fault in a person as you would if he or she were a piece of equipment. The root cause discovery process might proceed like this. The problem was due to bad programming. Okay, why was there bad programming? Because Harry programmed it badly. Why did Harry program it badly? Because he wasn't well-trained and in a rush. Why wasn't he well-trained? Did his manager know that he wasn't well-trained and let him do the job, or did he not know? Consider how personal the questioning is. It doesn't stop at because Harry programmed it badly. It must go deeper in order to understand what about the people and or the design led to the failure. This is difficult for both the diagnoser and the responsible parties, and it often results in people bringing up all kinds of irrelevant details. Be on your guard, because people will often look to cover themselves by diving into the weeds. H. To distinguish between a capacity issue and a capability issue, imagine how the person would perform at that particular function if they had ample capacity. Think back on how the person performed in similar functions when they had ample capacity. If the same kind of problems come, came up, then the problem is very likely one of the capabilities. I. Keep in mind that managers usually fail or fall short of their goals for one or more five reasons. One, they are too distant. Two, they have problems perceiving bad quality. Three, they have lost sight of how bad things have become because they have gotten used to it. Four, they have such high pride in their work or such large egos that they can't bear to admit they are unable to solve their own problems. And five, they fear adverse consequences from admitting failure. 12.2. Maintain an emerging synthesis by diagnosing continuously. If you don't look into significant bad outcomes as they occur, you won't be able to understand what things they are symptomatic of or how they are changing through time, i.e., are they getting better or worse? 12.3. Keep in mind that diagnoses should produce outcomes. If they don't, there's no purpose to them. At a minimum, a diagnosis should take the form of theories about root causes and clarity about what information needs to be gathered to find out more. 
At best, it should lead directly to a plan or design to fix the problem or problems. A. Remember that if you have the same people doing the same things, you should expect the same results. Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Don't fall into this trap because you'll have a hard time getting out of it. 12.4. Use the, drill, the following drill-down technique to gain an 80-20 understanding of a department or sub-department that is having problems. A drill-down is a process that allows you to gain an understanding of the root causes of the biggest problems in a department or area so you can design a plan to make the area excellent. Drill-downs are not diagnoses but a form of broad and deep probing. They're not, they're not intended to uncover the causes of every problem, only the 20 or so percent of causes that produce 80% of the suboptimal effects. A drill-down takes place in two steps and is then followed by design and execution steps. If done well, the two drill-down steps can be done in about four hours. It is very important that the steps be done separately and independently, so as not to go in too many directions at once. Let me take you through the process, offering guidance and examples for each step. Step 1. List the problems. Quickly inventory all the core problems. Be very specific, as this is the only way to find effective solutions. Don't generalize or use the plural we or they. Name the names of the people experiencing the problems. Have all the relevant people from the area under scrutiny participate in the, in the drill down. You will benefit from their insights and it will drive ownership of the solution. Don't focus on rare events or trivial problems. Nothing is perfect, but be sure they are not symptoms of systemic machine problems. Don't try to find solutions yet. Your focus in this step is strictly on, strictly on listing the problems. And step two, identify the root causes. For each problem, identify the deep-seated reason behind the actions that caused the problem. Most problems happy, happen for one of two reasons. One, it isn't clear who the responsible party is, or two, the responsible party is not handling his or her responsibilities well. You must distinguish proximate causes from root causes. Proximate causes are the reasons or actions that led to the problem. When you start describing the qualities behind these reasons or actions, you are getting closer to the root cause. To get at the root cause, keep asking why. For example, problem. The team is continually working late and is on the verge of burning out. Why? Because we don't have enough capacity to meet the demand put on the team. Why? Because we inherited this new responsibility without additional staff. Why? because the manager did not understand the volume of work before accepting the responsibility. Why? Because the manager is bad at anticipating problems and creating plans. And that is the root cause. Do not exclude any relevant people from the drill down. Besides, losing the benefit of their ideas, you'll disenfranchise them from the game plan and reduce their sense of ownership. At the same time, remember that people tend to be more defensive than self-critical. It is your job as a manager to get at truth and excellence, not to make people happy. For example, the correct path might be to fire some people and replace them with better people, or put them in jobs they might not want. Everyone's objective must be to get at the best answers, not the answers that will make the most people happy. You may find that multiple problems identified in step one share the same root cause. 
Because you are doing a drill down in a quick session, your root cause diagnoses may only be provisional, essentially alerts about things to watch out for. When step two is completed, take a break to reflect and then come up with a plan. Step three, create a plan. Step away from the group and develop a plan that addresses the root causes. Plans are like movie scripts, where you visualize who will do what through time to achieve the goals. They are developed by iterating through multiple possibilities, weighing the likelihood of goal achievement versus costs and risks. They should have specific tasks, outcomes, responsible parties, tracking metrics, and timelines. Allow the key people involved to discuss the plan thoroughly. Not everyone needs to agree on the plan, but the responsible parties and other key people must be in sync. Step four, execute the plan. Execute the agreed upon plan and transparently track its progress. At least monthly, report on the planned and actual progress to date and the expectations for the coming period and hold people publicly accountable for delivering their outcomes successfully and on time. Make adjustments to the plan as required to reflect reality. 12.5. Understand that diagnosis is foundational to both progress and quality relationships. If you and others are open-minded and engage in equality back and forth, not only will you find better solutions, you will also get to know each other better. It is an opportunity for you to assess your people and to help them grow, and vice versa.